Uh, with that, I'm going to have Pastor John Wayne come up. He is a dear brother of ours. Both uh, Brian and I have known him many years, and um, I just wanted to say a couple things, and then you can add in and fill in the blanks where I leave stuff out. But um, this gentleman here is a great blessing uh, to the body at large and to us personally. Uh, I originally met uh, John when he was um, when we visited Brazil, who at the time he was pastoring, planting churches down there, overseeing church uh, planting in that country, and also starting the Bible college down there and getting that up and started and running, which is an amazing facility. And uh, to this day, we've seen churches grow down there and went a few years in a row and saw this guy in action, if you will, ministering to people down there and and speaking Portuguese and actually married a a beautiful um, Brazilian woman. And they have some kids now and have since settled in in SoCal at Calvary Costa Mesa, right? Yeah. Um, the neat thing about John is I still, to this day, I get to hear him often because he's on the radio for, if you guys have had the chance to listen to 88.1 at all, um, from three to four every day, they have a uh, pastor's perspective. I've heard uh, John there a few times recently. Very awesome uh, blessing to have him with us teaching the word this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray for him and ask for God's anointing this morning. If you want to extend a hand, that's totally appropriate as we pray for him and for our time together. Uh, Lord, we're, we're thankful, God, for this brother, and uh, Lord, the years of friendship and, and partnering in ministry and, and having um, even guys, our own interns go down, and, and like Tom Stowe, and, and, and now pastoring down there, and really a lot of ways just glean from this brother who has been set apart. His life has been set apart for your service, and we're, we're indebted to, to him, but moreover, we're indebted to you because you raise up brothers like him. So thank you for his heart. For us and for the word and just to teach, Lord, we ask for your anointing by your Holy Spirit upon our time together. And may you just open our hearts, Lord, that we may receive every ounce of what you want to speak to our hearts today. We ask it in your precious name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Thank you, man. Mm -hmm. Well, it is really great to be here with you guys today. I've been wanting to come up and visit this church for a long time. Um, I, I still remember when Brian and Sherry were packing up to move up here to San Luis Obispo to start this church. Brian and I grew up in the same neighborhood, so I've known him for a really long time. I think he's about maybe one or two years older than me. So my, my memories of him in high school were Saturday mornings, him coming by my house and doing this. and saying, dude, wake up. Let's go surfing. And, and so you got to understand, Brian was the cool kid. I was the overweight, nerdy kid. And so for, for Brian sporting his 1980s Miami Vice hairstyle, you know, and then, you know, taking me out to the beach, that was a big deal. But then we'd get out to the beach and be like, dude, here's the camera. Just take pictures of me surfing, okay? <laughs> oh. So for three hours, click, click, click. But... I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm just so thankful for with that guy, besides that, um, is just his consistency in his walk with Jesus, both him and Sherry. And so um, to be able to stand here, second service, and having already experienced what God did during first service, and now to know that we can expect God to do the same stuff here during this time together, that's really cool. And so, again, I just want to thank you for the invitation and for the hospitality of welcoming here to be able to share the word with you. And, um, and it's just, it's, I'll tell you, for me, 
um, to think that Brian and I are both in our 40s and all the years that God has given to us to be able to serve the Lord. Um, I'm just down in Orange County. I'm one of the teaching pastors at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And then just to hear of all that the Lord's doing here, it's just, it, it's so encouraging and it's just so great. And, and I get excited about thinking, who's in this place? Who are the people that God's going to be raising up and sending out from this place? And, uh, and some of you are going to have those stories to share one day as you um, get to, to hear about and see what the Lord is doing with the person that you're sitting next to. So thanks again for giving me the opportunity to, to just live life out in Jesus with you today. Well, this morning, let's open up our Bibles to book number five in the New Testament, the book of Acts, um, chapter one, and we're going to pick up where we've as a church, left off last week. I know that um, you've just launched into a series in the book of Acts. And so if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? We've got a couple of gals with Bibles. We want to make sure that you have a copy of the Bible in front of you. Anyone else? Awesome. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And so let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me as I read and follow along, and then after I read, we'll pray, and then we're just continuing the, the story that, that we started last week here in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, today, again, we want to thank you for the Bible. Lord, we believe that this is your word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray that this, this time that we have together, that, that the Holy Spirit would bring clarity, understanding, and application to the things that we read and talk about and think about today. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do in us what he loves doing best of all, and that's to brag about and glorify Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that every single one of us would have a personal encounter with the risen, living Jesus today. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love the book of Acts, and I'm glad that you as a church are studying through this book. The book of Acts tells us about the first 30 years of church history and what God did as he launched the gospel through ordinary people just like you and me into the Roman world. And here we are 2,000 plus years later and we're still talking about it because what happened 2,000 years ago was legit. What Jesus, the risen living Jesus, did 2,000 years ago through a group of ordinary people and the fact that you and I are still feeling the impact of it tells us that something supernatural is going on in the book of Acts. And you guys are just launching into learning about God's work 
God's way by people who are God's people empowered by God's spirit. And so I am really excited that you're going to study through the book of Acts. And the verses that we read this morning really just continues the narrative that was started last week. And in the verses that we just read, we see that two things are happening, and I don't want you to miss this. Number one, there's first the account of Christ's ascension. There's an account of Christ's ascension, but then the second thing that we see in the verses that we just read is the assurance of Christ's return. Now, we're going to camp out on these two things this morning because, listen, these two things are important for us on two levels. First, it's important on a theological level. Don't let the word theology scare you. The word simply means the study of God. That means as we unpack these verses today, hopefully you're going to walk out of this place knowing something about God, and hopefully you're going to leave this place more in love with Jesus than before. But it also impacts us, secondly, on a practical level. Listen, our time that we get together to open up the Bible and to study it, it's not just to get more information. It's not merely an academic exercise. Listen, the things that we learn about Jesus, the things that we learn about God in the Bible, it should do something to us on a personal, practical level. There should be change that's happening. Listen, God wants to change you. We're all in the need of change. We're all in the process of change. And God is in the, in the process of making you and me more and more like Jesus. And so it's going to impact us that way. And so because of these reasons, we're going to camp out here. We're going to spend time talking about and thinking about these two things. So here we go. Number one, we first see the account of Christ's ascension. The account of Christ's ascension. Again, look at verses 9 and 10. Dr. Luke tells us, and when he, that's Jesus, had said these things, it's what he just said in the previous verse about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It says, as they, these apostles, were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight, verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, dot, dot, dot. So let's stop there. This is a big deal that's happening that Luke's telling us about. I want you to see what's what's happening here. First, the description of this event. I want you to see what happened to Jesus. Luke tells us in these verses that Jesus was lifted up. He was lifted up. Now, you guys know that the New Testament was written in Greek, right? Now, in the Greek, the word that's translated here, lifted up, it's a word that's used in relation to hoisting a sail. In fact, these, this word shows up in Acts chapter 27, verse 40. So, as you're thinking about Jesus being lifted up, try to think about a sail being hoisted up. But also there in verse 9, Luke also tells us that a cloud took him out of their sight. So those words, took him, that's pretty cool. Commenting on these words, a man by the name of A.T. Robertson, who is the well-known Greek scholar, he points out that these words, took him, can literally mean to take under him, to take under him. Now, that's a cool thought in view of Psalm 104, verse 3. In Psalm 104, verse 3, speaking about God, it says, He makes the clouds His chariot 
and rides on the wings of the wind. So this is an amazing scene that's happening. Jesus is being taken up like a sail that's being hoisted, and clouds come beneath him and lift him up as if Jesus is riding on a chariot of clouds. In fact, some Bible scholars view this cloud to be the visible display of God's glory. Remember there on the Mount of Transfiguration that the cloud covered Christ, and the Bible tells us that that was the glory of God? But with all this happening, verse 10 tells us that Jesus went. This is a common word in Greek meaning to travel from one destination to another. And in verse 11, it says he was taken up into heaven. Again, this word taken up, it shows up again in Acts chapter 20, verses 13 and 14. And there we see that it's being taken up as someone being taken aboard a ship. Listen, all that to say, this is ascension. Something is happening here that the apostles are eyewitnessing at this moment. Jesus is ascending. When we throw out a word like ascension, we are talking about a movement upward. This is the act of changing location in an upward direction. And so here in this case, what Luke is telling us is that Jesus was physically and visibly to a certain point, he was transported from one location on planet earth to a different place, to another place. So the question is, is where did he go? So in this thing that's happening here called ascension, Jesus is being taken up. The clouds are coming beneath him like chariots and lifting him up, taking him to a different destination and verses 10 and 11 tells us that Jesus was taken up to heaven. He was taken up to heaven. Now, Mark 16, verse 19. In Mark 16, 19, Mark tells us that he was taken up into heaven. Listen, and he sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is a metaphor. It's language that speaks about the position of rule, the position of preeminence, the position of supremacy. That's where Jesus went. You also remember after Jesus rose again from the dead, that he met with a woman named Mary Magdalene, and there she was with a death hold around him, a death grip. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to the brothers and say to them, I am ascending, and then he tells her where, to my Father, your Father, to my God, and your God. That's where he went. Jesus was taken up. The clouds formed a chariot lifting him up, and he went straight into heaven to the position of rule, preeminence, supremacy. He went to his God, our God, his Father, our Father. So what's the big deal? Remember I said that these stories impact us on both a theological and a practical level. So let's first unpack the theological impact that this has on you and me. Listen, the fact that Jesus ascended to heaven is huge. The fact that Jesus ascended to heaven is huge. Number one, because it concluded Jesus' humiliation and self-limitation. It concluded Jesus' humiliation 
and self-limitation. Check out what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul wrote, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now listen, though he was God, that's deity, guys. Jesus is God. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Listen, when God became man in the person of Jesus, he did not stop being God. He did not stop being God. He was here on earth fully God. But at the same time, he took on to himself something he never had before, and that was a human nature. He took to himself a human body. And with that human body, Jesus chose to lay aside his divine privileges and take on the limitations of a human being here on earth even to the point of suffering and death. You want to know why God had to become a man? So he could die. How can you kill God? You can't kill God. God can't die. And so the Bible tells us he became a man so he could take on the limitations of a human being, so he could die, so he could sacrificially die on the cross for you and me. But listen, all of this ended, his humiliation and his self-limitation, it all ended when he returned to heaven. Jesus went back to heaven as the God-man, no longer in humiliation and self-limitation. But secondly, the reason why the ascension is a big deal is because it concluded Jesus' activities on earth while on earth. You see, from this point on, Jesus is going to continue his activities on earth from heaven. Remember last week in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says that everything that Luke wrote about Jesus there in the gospel of Luke, all that stuff was just the beginning. Jesus is still on the moon. And it's important that you get that. Jesus is still actively doing stuff right now on earth, but now he's doing it from heaven. And he's going to continue his activities on earth by God's Spirit, working through God's people, this thing called the church. Number three, the reason why the ascension of Jesus is a big deal is because it brought Jesus into exalted glory. I love this. It brought Jesus into exalted glory. Listen, before his death, Jesus prayed this to his Father, in John 17, 5, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus went back to his glory, preaching about the risen and the ascended Christ a guy by the name of the Apostle Peter, he declared, quote, he is, the ex- he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. 
And echoing those words, Paul said this in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Listen, on earth, Jesus was the humble, sacrificial Lamb of God. But right now in heaven, listen, He is the exalted, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And listen, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. I'll tell you, I am deeply concerned and saddened when I see people in church And their Jesus is a boring Jesus. Listen, if you're bored with Jesus in church and in life and in service, let me say you have got the wrong Jesus. There is no such thing as a boring Jesus. I mean, do you really think that the angels up in heaven that are without day and night, without ceasing, saying, holy, 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 ever get to a point saying, holy, holy, holy. This is getting old. So how long have we been saying that? A few billion years? Listen, every time they utter those words, it's like it's the first time they're saying it. And it's filled with passion and with life because there is no such thing. There is no existing, boring Jesus. And if that's your Jesus, listen, you got the wrong Jesus because a boring Jesus is created, invented in the imaginations of fallen humanity. But that is not the Jesus that's seated in heaven right now. And that is not the Jesus that's here right now. And however you're thinking about Jesus right now, you have to think of Jesus on those terms. He is exalted in glory in heaven right now. And anything less than that does not deserve worship. We worship him because he's that, right? Amen? We worship him because he's that. And number four, why is the ascension of Jesus such a big deal? Because it affirms Jesus' heavenly origin. It affirms Jesus' heavenly origin. Listen, being God, Jesus came from heaven to earth and returned back to heaven. The difference between Jesus and the rest of us is that we start on earth and then get to heaven. Jesus started in heaven, came to earth, and went back to heaven. Jesus told us he came from heaven. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. In John 8, 23, Jesus said, I am from above. I am not of this world. Listen, Christ's ascension affirmed his claims. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Number five, why is the ascension of Jesus such a big deal? Because it affirms the completeness of Jesus' redemptive and propitiatory work on the cross. Now, I just threw out a couple big words at you this morning. Redemption. Listen, Jesus, when he came to earth, it was a mission. It was a rescue mission. It was a redemptive mission. Redemption means that every single one of us, we were born into this world sinners, and because we're sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice. 
And as sinners, we were slaves to the devil and we were slaves to sin. But God sent Jesus on a rescue mission and he paid the ransom for our freedom with his own blood. There at the cross, something was happening. A payment was being paid and a transaction was being made where Jesus was paying the ransom for our freedom from Satan and bondage to sin. That's what happened at the cross. But propitiation was also being made. Propitiation on one hand means that Jesus died in our place as the sacrificial substitute. But listen, something was happening when Jesus was on that cross as our sacrificial substitute. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That is a theological truth that we cannot wrap our minds around. That while Jesus was hanging there on the cross, the sinless Son of God, He became your sin without becoming a sinner. While He was there hanging on the cross, He became your lie without becoming a liar. He became your lust without becoming a pervert. He became your theft without becoming a thief. He became your sin, my sin, without becoming a sinner. And while He was hanging there, God... The Father poured out in full measure, not sparing one drop, the full measure of His wrath. Wrath upon wrath upon wrath directed at our sin. And Jesus hanging there on the cross, He took it, He drank it, He absorbed in full measure the wrath of God in His own body. And when people ask me, why do you love Jesus? I say, really? Really? What religion in the world has a God like our God? What religion in the world has a Savior like our Savior? And when he was there on the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. And so when he went back to heaven, you know what he did? He sat down. He sat down. In Hebrews 1, 3, it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's huge. The author of Hebrews is wanting to rewind our memories back to the Old Testament. And back in the Old Testament, there were two buildings. One was called the tabernacle. The other was called the temple. The tabernacle preceded the temple, and both of these buildings, one was a tent, one was a concrete building, and they were the epicenter of the real worship of God on planet Earth. This is where God met with man and man met with God. But one thing, with all the furniture that was there in the tabernacle and the temple, the one piece of furniture that did not exist was a chair. Because the work of the priest was never done. They were in continual, perpetual activity offering sacrifices for the sins of people. Because people always sin and sacrifices need to always be made. But when Jesus paid the price for our redemption and the forgiveness of sin. His work was so complete that he went to heaven, he sat down. In other words, he's saying there is nothing more to be added. There is nothing to be done to improve on this. It's done. Number six Why is the ascension of Jesus such a big deal? Listen, because it's the start of Jesus' activities in heaven on behalf of God's redeemed people. And this is where it bleeds into the practical stuff. 
I hope you understand that when Jesus went to heaven, he didn't do it just to add distance between you and him. But you need to understand that Jesus is up in heaven doing something. You know what he's doing? He's serving you. Again, what religion has a God like our God? I mean, have you ever prayed, Lord, will you just minister to me? Will you just minister to the people around us? Have you ever prayed that? I mean, do you, have you ever thought about what you're praying to God, like what you're asking him to do for you? You're praying, Lord, God, maker of heaven and earth, the one true living God who holds all power and all authority over every created thing, will you just serve me right now? In what religion do people would dare to say to God, will you just serve me right now? You know who prays that? Christians do, because God opened the door for us to pray that way. Because our God loves us, and our God is a servant king. And our God says, here's the way I want you to pray to me. I want you to ask me to serve you. Wow. That's huge. So what is he doing in heaven right now that he's serving you and me? Well, number one, he's our mediator. He went back to heaven so he could be our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is mediating between God and you, you and God as the God-man. He's in heaven right now as our high priest. That means that we have an everlasting, ever-living, forever-living high priest who cares for us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'll tell you, it feels really lonely when you feel like you're the only one on planet Earth that no one cares about. But I'll tell you what, we have a high priest whose life is endless and he's caring about you right now. But not only does he care for us, but he intercedes for us. He prays for us. Hebrews 7, 25 and 26 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, or in other words, that He's not a sinner, and exalted above the heavens. We have God the Son praying for each and every one of us right now. You're a Christian because... Jesus prayed for you. You're here this morning. I don't know what your backstory is, but maybe for some of you, you are on the edge. You almost didn't show up here today. But you ended up here because Jesus was praying for you. Some of you, you're not a Christian, and you're here out of curiosity, or a friend invited you, and, and you're here sitting, listening to this message as we brag about this big Jesus. And you're here because Jesus is praying for you. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That our King serves us this way. 
Not only is he our mediator and high priest, but listen, he's also our advocate. He's our defense attorney. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's what we aim for. That's our goal. We don't want to grieve God with our sin. The problem is, he goes on, but if anyone does sin, that's all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is, there's that word again, propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, the moment we all sin, Jesus is already standing there in front of God the Father, defending us and saying, I paid for that sin. I paid for that impure thought. I prayed for that action. I paid for those words. All their sins were nailed at the cross. So cool. Jesus in heaven also means he's our baptizer. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.33 says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And listening, this baptism with the Spirit is for a purpose. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit to empower us to be effective witnesses of Jesus in the world. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All that's possible because Jesus went back to heaven. But it also means that he's our gift giver. Ephesians 4, 7 through 11 says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers. It's a huge privilege to be able to function and serve as members of a local church body. The opportunities that we get to be able to serve in this church Because God has equipped every single one of us with at least one spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.13 tells us that. That means when you're spending those spiritual gifts in encouraging and building up the people around you, listen, that exalts the exalted king in heaven. Because he gave you that gift for that. But you know what? The fact that he went to heaven... And the way he serves us means he also is our home builder. I love that. And this is a good word for people who are discouraged or a bit depressed today, feeling a bit hopeless, feeling a bit lost. Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So listen, all that stuff has happened because Jesus went back to heaven. So the ascension of Jesus is a big deal. It's a big deal for all of us who are Christians. But not only does Luke give us an account of the ascension of Christ, but then verses 10 and 11 we also see the assurance of Christ's return. The assurance of Christ's return. Look at it, verses 10 and 11. It says, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? 
this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I'm so thankful that's in the Bible. This is a word of assurance. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the promise that Jesus is coming back. This is what the Bible calls our blessed hope. And there are four things that that we see these two men, probably angels, telling these guys about the return of Christ. Number one, it's going to be the same Jesus who went up that's going to come back down. Jesus himself is coming back. Number two, he went up to heaven. He's coming back from heaven. Number three, he will come. Listen, this is absolute. I know that we live in a broken world, in a messed up world, and there's a lot of things happening around us that, we, that can cause us to feel a bit discouraged about the idea of Jesus coming back and setting all things right. But here's the thing. It's going to happen. I hope you don't let go of this assurance. This is our hope, guys. It's going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to come back, and He's going to set things right. He's going to come back into your broken world, and He's going to set things right in your life too. And number four, it says, He will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. That means He's coming back physically, He's coming back visibly, and He's going to appear in the clouds. In fact, Revelation 1.7 tells us he's going to come back the same way he went up. Revelation 1, 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. This is a promise you can bank on. In fact, the Bible assures us that Jesus Christ is coming back over and over again. I mean, check this out. Jesus' return is explicitly referred to 1,845 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times. In the Old Testament, 1,527 times. In the New Testament, 318 times. The promises are repeated over and over again that Jesus is coming back. Jesus' return is mentioned in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. Out of the New Testament's 260 chapters, there are 318 references to the return of Jesus, and Jesus' second coming is mentioned eight times for every reference to His first coming. Listen, the Bible wants us to understand this. Jesus is coming back. But not only does the Bible tell us that, but Jesus tells us that. In the Bible, Jesus himself refers to his return 21 times. And the final recorded words of Jesus in the Bible is found in Revelation 22, 20. Remember what he said? Surely I am coming soon. I love how Jesus just said that. And that's the last word in the New Testament because it just leaves us hanging. And for 2,000 years, we've just been like hearing and living in that echo. Surely I am coming soon. That's the assurance. And when it happens, it'll be huge. Check out the appearing. I want you to try to just slow down your thoughts for a bit and try to wrap your mind around this event. 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our Jesus. And this is the Jesus who's coming back. And he's coming back to rescue us. When I think about Jesus coming back, I have this image of just this lion just barreling down the path, just charging in his mane. It's just like being blown in the wind and his mouth is just wide open as he's just roaring and he's just, he's just coming to our rescue. I think about that. The next time you turn on the news and the world tells you everything's hopeless. So what does all this mean for you and me on a practical level? Because it should mean something. Listen, knowing and believing that Jesus Christ is coming back impacts us in the area of worship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The return of Christ impacts our watchfulness. Matthew 24.44 says, Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It impacts our prayerfulness. Luke 21, 36 says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. It impacts our hopefulness. Titus 2, 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It impacts our moral and ethical purity. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes and impurifies himself as He is pure. It impacts our perseverance. James 5, 7 through 8, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It impacts our service. 
Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense or my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. And listen, it impacts our evangelism. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Proclaim it. Brag about Jesus. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke or reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen, Jesus is coming back. That means our life should look like that. The account of Christ's ascension, the assurance of Christ's return. So question, how do we finish a message like this? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. But let me just give you a closing thought as we just kind of wrap all this up by putting a period at the end of this message. Listen, hopefully all the stuff that we talked about today has gone towards making your understanding and your vision of this Jesus that we love and worship and obey bigger. It would be wrong for any of us to leave this place with a very small vision of Jesus when Jesus is not that. Jesus is God-size. And we need to see Him that way. Listen, Christ is risen and exalted in heaven. We need to see Him that way. We need to process life. We need to filter all the happenings in life through that truth, through that reality, through those lens. And this is cause for celebration. How do you respond to a message like this? Celebrate. Celebration. Jesus is worthy of worship. Guys, it's okay to emote. Now, we're all cautious of emotionalism. But it's okay to emote because Jesus is worthy of it. But also motivation. Not only celebration, but motivation. Christ is active in heaven as our mediator and as our priest. That means this motivates us to endure in the Christian life and to engage the world in God's power. Listen, God does not intend any of us to live like victims in this world. He intends for you and me to live and thrive like victors. You know, you guys all know from Romans 8 when Paul says we are more than conquerors. You guys remember that scripture? We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You know what the difference between a conqueror and a more than conqueror is? A conqueror is someone who's declared the winner after he's won the battle. A more than conqueror is someone who's already announced the victor before he gets into the battle. That's you and me. And so what Jesus is doing up in heaven for you and me motivates us to step out of our comfort zone and engage the world with the good news of Christ and with this Jesus that we love and adore. But there's also anticipation. Jesus went to heaven with the promise to return for us. And listen, every day we live with that hope. Jesus might come back for us today. And then finally, decision. I've had the opportunity to speak at a bunch of different places to a bunch of different people for a long time. And one thing that I've learned is to never take for granted the opportunities I have that there might be people here that don't know Jesus. Jesus. 
And so I want to invite you, if you're here and you've never given your heart to Christ, today's the day. Maybe today you just encountered, you were confronted by a Jesus that you never saw or a Jesus you never understood before. But today this Jesus that we've been talking about is anything but small and weak. I'll tell you, any Jesus that's small and weak is not big enough to save and redeem. But this Jesus is big and mighty. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's the one who says to you this morning or this afternoon, whatever time, officially this afternoon, the Lord is saying to you, come to me and I will release you from your sins. I will release you from your guilt and I will give you heaven and I will give you a new heart and I'll give you a new future and I'll give you a new life and I will be your king and I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Why would you not want that Jesus to be your king? Why would you not want to pledge your allegiance to him to be your king? So in your decision, as we wrap it up, we're going to move into a time of worship and communion. The communion elements that represents the body of Jesus and the blood of Christ that was broken and poured out for you. And as you come to the communion elements, maybe for some of you, you might come and say, Lord, would you just forgive me for my sins? I've just been living a self-centered life. And thank you so much for bringing me fresh perspective of who you are again, just so I could worship you in the manner that you're worthy of. Meet him at the foot of the cross. For others of you, if today is the day that you're going to respond and give your heart to Jesus, you know what, there um, at, the, at the cross there, there's going to be some people that are going to be waiting for you to pray for you and to talk with you, and they would love to pray with you to receive Christ. Please do not walk out of this place without having given your heart to Jesus. And for others of us, I hope that all this stuff that we've been talking about with Jesus is just like pouring kerosene onto a burning flame. That this morning or this afternoon, you're just this, vertical, just God. I just, everything, my, my, everything, my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, everything is yours. Because you're deserving of it. You're worthy of it. But whatever you do, don't leave this place passive. Don't leave this place apathetic or mediocre. Either walk out of this place really hating Jesus or really loving him. But not in between. Because our Jesus demands something bigger than people that are passive. He demands a decision. And this Jesus is calling us to know him, to be loved by him, and to love him. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to be able to share with this precious body of believers. And I just ask now that as we respond with worship, that you would get all the praise and the glory that you're worthy of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.